Hi, I'm Dawn Quest and welcome to Essentially Women. Have you ever had that feeling at work or in your professional life where you feel, oh my goodness, I'm way out of my depth here, I'm in over my head and it's only a matter of time before everyone is going to find out? Do you sometimes feel like a big phony in your job or you have a constant worry about being exposed as a fraud? that it's only a matter of time before your boss or your colleagues or your clients discover that you're not all you're cracked up to be, that you're a massive, massive, big fake? Or do you sometimes feel like you only got where you are with your job or other positions because of luck or connections or some other reason other than your own hard work and success? Well, all of these thoughts and feelings I've just mentioned are classic signs of imposter syndrome, a phrase coined by psychologists back in 1979 in a study of high-achieving women in the workplace. Imposter syndrome is one of those terms that we hear a lot of lately, and it's usually used in reference to women, but it does affect men as well. Since that study in 1979, they've done lots more research and discovered that it can affect anybody from men to women, anybody in any situation. When psychologists Susanna Immis and Pauline Rose Clance first labelled it as imposter syndrome, they detailed it as a coping and protective mechanism used by people suffering from this syndrome. But ultimately what they found, what they identified, and what has been the subject of lots of research since, is that imposter syndrome is linked to self-worth, how we feel about ourselves and that fundamentally, somehow, we're not as good as everyone else. We may have situations where we look at other people in the workplace or other women in the workplace and wonder how they manage to be so confident. How do they do it? How do they kind of exude this feeling of security in their skills and job? They claim their space. It's almost like they own that space. And if you do suffer from imposter syndrome, that can really set a very stark contrast between them and you. And it just reinforces this feeling that somehow we are not in the right place. We're faking it, we're phonies, and that it's, that we'll soon be discovered. Now, studies tend to link it to high achieving women, whatever that label means. But the thing is, anybody can suffer from imposter syndrome, no matter how successful they are and how much they've already achieved. And in some cases, it's really surprising when you see the types of people who say they feel like a fraud. It really makes you think. Maya Angelou, the beautiful, beautiful writer, she wrote 11 books, but she said with each one, I think, "Uh uh-oh, they're going to find me out. I've run a game on everybody and they're going to find me out now. And that's after 11 books. (laughs) Meryl Streep has been quoted as saying, why would anyone want to see me in another movie? I don't even know how to act anyway. (laughs) This is an Oscar-winning actress. Kate Winslet has been quoted as saying, I'd wake up in the morning about to go on a film set and think, I can't do this. I really can't do it. And again, not just women. Mike Myers, the comedian, he's famously quoted as saying, at any time I expect the no talent police to show up. It can affect anyone, but maybe where it really shows up is in those areas where women are really putting themselves out there. They're putting their their faces out there, putting their necks on the line, and are very, very exposed to other people's opinions of them. So 
So let's first talk about the symptoms. Imposter syndrome is ultimately an inability to realistically assess your own competence and skills. So you can have women with degrees and been in a high performing profession for years, but when they look at their own competence and skills, they can say, well, you know, I'm faking it, I'm winging it, I'm not as qualified as I should be, even with all of that evidence, if you like. Another symptom is attributing your success to external factors. Oh, it was just luck. I just got lucky. I knew the right people. I was in the right place at the right time, which can be a positive thing. But if you are using that always to do, to describe your success, then not so positive. It's not so helpful. Another way imposter syndrome shows up is when we berate our own performance. So of course, it's natural after you've completed a job or a project or you've given a presentation, whatever it is, human beings, we're just naturally primed to focus on the negative. We are hardwired to start focusing on the negative. However, when this becomes a habit and when we can't see the wood for the trees, when we are focusing on the things we didn't do well instead of the, the things we did great, then this is where that imposter syndrome starts to show up. This next one is a big one, the fear that you won't live up to expectations. And I know this one from personal experience. I remember I was called in to work on a project um, as a team and I'm quite an introvert and I, I tend to work best on my own and just going at my own pace. But I was called in to work with a big, big team of people. And that's okay. I've, I've done this before in my professional career and that's kind of, I'm used to it, even though I don't feel comfortable with it. But when I was introduced to the team, I was given this huge, (laughs) huge introduction. The person who was introducing me just described all of these things that I'd done really well and all my accolades and achievements. And I just remember wanting the ground to open up and swallow me. I started to feel smaller and smaller and smaller because I thought, this is not me. This feels really fake that he's not describing me (laughs) the way I know myself. And what I also realized was that that big introduction really set me up to fail. As a result of that, I felt very insecure. I felt that any work that I put out had to be excellent, top, top standard to live up to this introduction. And what happened was I actually started that job feeling really insecure and really not comfortable. And that, of course, was a fulfilling, self-fulfilling prophecy because the less confident and secure I felt, the more kind of small I became. And I started to, in a way, underperform. I didn't perform at my best. So I have experience of that, the fear that you won't live up to expectations. And and maybe this is one of the big ones for women when we go on social media, when we are out meeting our work colleagues, our boss, whatever it may be, they give us a job, give us a task, And there's this fear that, well, I don't know why they're choosing me. I'm just not up to this. I'm not qualified. Another symptom of imposter syndrome is overachieving, where rather than be proved that we are fake, we will just go above and beyond and we'll dot the I's and cross the T's and just be meticulous. But in the process, we'll wear ourselves out. We'll exhaust ourselves. Another symptom, of course, is self-doubt. I think that that goes without saying. But also, we might set really challenging goals for ourselves. 
and then feel disappointed when we fall short. So this goes hand in hand with the overachieving, this sense of, I need to challenge myself and give myself this huge goal in order to prove that I can do it, in order to prove not to myself, but to everybody else that I can do it. A classic sign of imposter syndrome is brushing off praise and you feel disassociated from it. And if you notice, that's what I did earlier um, when I was talking about that introduction I was given. The person who was introducing me was feeling that they were praising me, which should have been great, right? I should have really loved that. But I brushed it off. And I think women, we're really, really good at brushing off compliments and praise, aren't we? We're good at, oh, it was nothing. Oh, somebody else could have done a much better job of than me. We tend to kind of minimize And what happens with imposter syndrome is you actively disassociate from it. You, It's almost like you have this out-of-body experience (laughs) where you think, well, that praise is at that person. It's for this image. The praise is for the image of me. It's not for me because I know what I'm like. I know deep down all my fears, all my doubts, all my flaws, all the times I've really messed up and I've screwed up. I know how unqualified I am. Those are the kind of thoughts that go through our minds. And there's that feeling that no matter how qualified you are, it's never, you're never going to be qualified enough. And there's that saying, you don't know what you don't know. In fact, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Even if you are qualified up to the hilt, you're still aware of, you're probably even more aware of all the knowledge, all the skills, all the experience that you don't have. Those are the classic symptoms of imposter syndrome. But here are some of the coping mechanisms that we employ, that we use when we're feeling this imposter syndrome. And recognise most of the time we're not aware that this is imposter syndrome. It's just this feeling of doubt. We may over-prepare for meetings and presentations and jobs and work, we over-prepare. And one of the reasons for this is that we don't want to be caught out. We want to have thought of every single possible question that might be asked of us so that we have the answer. We don't want to see, we don't want to be shown where we've, something we've overlooked or a mistake we've made. And that's weird, isn't it? Because of course, when you turn up to a job, when you do a job, when you do a project, no one expects you to know everything. In fact, What would be a more reasonable thing to do if somebody asks you a question is to say, I don't know, I'll find out. If you're on a project and someone says, you know, can you tell me the answer to this? No one expects you to have all the answers. No one expects us to have all the answers. But we, in order to give this feeling, this facade, in order to present this perfect image, we will over-prepare and anticipate every little single thing that we may be asked. Here's another coping mechanism, procrastination. Oh, this is such a big one. And I have clients who have massive, massive issues with procrastination. And it's all to do very linked with this gnarly, gnarly feeling of imposter syndrome. And most of the time, these are really highly educated, highly competent, incredibly experienced women. When they tell me they're procrastinating about work, It tells me something very fundamental about what's going on. And it's the fear of failure, the fear of this is something I feel out of my depth with. This is something I'm not sure I can cope with. And rather than 
be met face to face with something that I can't deal with, that I might fail at, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to find 10 different things that I can do instead. Because our minds, our brains love rewards. Now, if we have a, a project, if we have a task to do, and we do it, we complete it successfully, well, we get massive, massive sense of reward in our minds, in our brains. We are rewarded at a very basic level with feelings of competence, with feelings of confidence even that, yes, I can do it. I did this task. I got it done. If we're met with a task where we feel we're not quite doing the right thing, we're not quite giving our best or doing our best for whatever reason, there's this inherent sense of failure attached to that. We think, oh, somebody else could do this easily. It's just me. Maybe somebody else would be better at this than me. And rather than, that's such an uncomfortable feeling, we focus our attention on tasks that we can do. So procrastination, if you're procrastinating about something, check in with yourself and see if imposter syndrome is going on. And goodness, I'm a classic one for this. My partner will tell you there are very few times when I'm set a big project where I don't have a bit of a wobble at the start and say to myself, I can't do this. I really can't. I just can't. That word, those words, I can't, I can't just go round in my head. And I have this massive sense of fear, this fear inside me that putting pen to paper, putting the words on the page, as soon as I put the words on the page, my fear is that they're going to be rubbish. The minute I start writing, I'm going to think, oh my goodness, I can't write for toffee. So rather than face that fear, I, I procrastinate, I, I stop. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about how I deal with that myself and how I get myself out of that procrastination and that fear of failure. I'll talk about that in a minute when I talk about tips that we can use to overcome imposter syndrome. Another way we might cope with imposter syndrome is we stay small. We don't speak up in meetings. We don't put our voices out there. We don't show off our skills and our experience on social media. All of these talents, all of these skills we have, we don't share them because we're worried that someone somewhere will say, who on earth does she think she is? Looking at her social media, why on earth has she posted that? Who on earth? Those questions, who on earth does she think she is? So we step back, we become small. And again, I'll talk about that because we shouldn't stay small. That's absolutely something we shouldn't do. Not staying small is one of the perfect, perfect solutions for imposter syndrome. I'll talk about that in a minute. So why do we even have imposter syndrome in the first place? Well, sociologists and psychologists have, in all their research of imposter syndrome, have found common traits in people who suffer from imposter syndrome. The first one is perfectionism. And perfectionism is a very thorny issue. Psychologists have found that this can happen when children are raised in families with parents who are overly, overly critical. But not just that, the only time their children get attention from them is either when they've done something really, really well and the parents can show off about it and say, wow, my daughter this, my son did that. Or if they've done something really, really badly. And then of course they come in for criticism. So children who are raised in families of overachievers, where appearance matters, where it's really important that the children are seen to be doing well, 
that can create perfectionism. There are some positives about perfectionism in some ways because it shows that we are conscientious. It shows that we care. We want to do a really, really good job. But when perfectionism stops us in our tracks, becomes procrastination, that of course is when it's not really, really very helpful. With my clients, I'll tell them good enough is good enough. Good today is better than perfect tomorrow because sometimes you just have to get things done. And the simple act of getting things done kicks in that really positive feedback loop of, I got something done. The brain activates the reward center, the feelings of reward, which generates this lovely positive feedback spiral. If we are held back in our tracks because we're worried about things being perfect, we're on that downward negative spiral of, I can't do this. I'm rubbish at this. This isn't working. And we just dig ourselves into a hole. Psychologists have also found that imposter syndrome can have links with social anxiety. And of course, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If we are naturally anxious about being around people. Most of the time I find with my clients who have social anxiety, they've had experience in their childhood of having the spotlight shone on them for the wrong reasons. Something's happened at school or at home, which is associated with very traumatic feelings of stress or shame or embarrassment. And that gets kind of ingrained into the DNA and is linked to any social situation. The mind says, I'm just going to protect you. I don't want to expose you to criticism or ridicule or judgment. So let's just stay small. Let's just not go out. Let's just stay at home and not go out and be exposed and hurt. So social anxiety and imposter syndrome can go hand in hand. Of course, you can have one without the other. You often see in families where children have been uprooted many times, several times, and have had to go to new schools and new environments. This can naturally lead to imposter syndrome because every time a child goes to a new school, that isn't within the kind of normal model of, well, all my friends are moving school and, and you know, we're all, this is a natural progression. When children have to go to new schools outside of the kind of norm, then every time they have to prove themselves. They have to prove who they are every single time. And of course, with every different school, each school set has a different personality, a different characteristic. And we get that as adults if we have to start a new job. There's nothing worse than that uncomfortable feeling the first day at a new job. You don't know where the bathrooms are. You don't know where the kitchen is. You don't know how people interact. It's learning this this new language. Every workplace, every new school has its own language. And we have to very quickly pick up what that language is if we are to, to adapt. And adaptation is key because we want to blend. We don't want to stand out. We want to be accepted. And imposter syndrome is all about that feeling of somehow being on the outside. We're not part of the gang. We're, <laughs> we're not included, which can really trigger deep-seated feelings that may come from the past, that may come from being at school. In her book, Imposter Syndrome Expert, Dr. Valerie Young, categorizes imposter syndrome in two subgroups. She calls them the perfectionist, the superwoman or superman, the natural genius, the soloist, and the expert. 
In her book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Dr. Young uncovered several competence types or internal rules that people who struggle with confidence attempt to follow. These categorizations are often about where you fit in that pattern. What is your competence type? What is your set of rules? So let's briefly just go into them. Number one, the perfectionist. As I mentioned before, perfectionism and imposter syndrome are often very much linked. Perfectionists tend to set excessively high goals for themselves. And when they fail to reach that goal, they have this massive issue of self-doubt and worry. It's all about, do I measure up? Have I been able to do this? Am I just a big fraud, a big phony? There are some key questions you can ask yourself to see if this is the type of imposter syndrome that applies to you. So number one, have you ever been accused of micromanaging? Number two, do you have difficulty delegating? And even if you do delegate, do you feel quite frustrated or disappointed by other people's results? Number three, when you miss your mark, this high perfectionist standard you've set for yourself, do you then berate yourself? Do you say you're just not cut out for this? You're, you're rubbish. You'll never ever succeed. And then lastly, number four, do you feel like your work has to be 100% perfect every time, 100% of the time? If you're nodding to all of those questions, then this very much is about being a perfectionist. And I'll talk about some techniques you can use to help if you're feeling like you're being too perfectionist. The second category that Dr. Young talks about is the superwoman or superman. Now, these people are really convinced that they're phonies. They really feel like complete frauds and that any minute somebody's going to expose them. So here are some questions to ask yourself to see whether you have this type of imposter syndrome. Number one, do you stay later at the office than the rest of your team? Even after you've finished your work, do you just stay on and stay past the time that everybody else has gone home? Two, do you get stressed when you're not working? Do you find downtime, relaxing time, a waste of time? Do you find that relaxing is just a waste of your time and that you need to be productive all the time? Three, do you have any hobbies? Have you let your hobbies slide? The things that you used to enjoy doing outside of work, do you still do them? And number four, do you feel fundamentally that you haven't really earned your title or earned your position? Now, Dr. Young says these types of people who suffer from imposter syndrome, they get validation from working. Working and achieving makes them feel validated. It makes them feel they are good enough. The third type of imposter syndrome, the characteristics are of the natural genius. For these people, they feel that they are natural geniuses and that things should come to them quickly and easily. But the trouble is when things don't come quickly and easily, then they tend to feel embarrassed like they're failures. So there's this feeling that whatever job comes their way, they they should be able to learn it quickly because they're the type of person who's a natural genius. And it sounds like a little bit big-headed, but it's actually a self-esteem issue. Here's some questions to ask yourself. Are you used to doing really well without putting in too much effort? Number two, 
Do you have a track record of getting straight A's or top marks in everything you do? Three, were you told as a child most of the time that you were the smart one in your family? Were you given that label, the smart one, the studious one? Another question, do you dislike the idea of having a coach or a mentor because you feel like you can handle things on your own? Number five, if you're faced with a setback, does your confidence tumble because you associate not performing well with failure? And then lastly, do you often avoid trying new things if you believe you might fail at them? Would you avoid learning a new sport, for example, because you automatically know that you might suck at it and you don't want to show yourself to be weak or vulnerable in that area? The next category is the soloist. Soloists are people who don't ask for help because they feel that asking for help is failing. So again, some questions. Do you feel that you need to do everything by yourself? That the only way you're successful is if you do it all by yourself? Does this sound familiar? Number two, I don't need anyone's help. I can do it by myself. Does that sound like you? And then lastly, when you do ask for help, do you ask in terms of the project rather than you as a person? For example, this project needs X, Y, and Z rather than I need your help with this because I don't quite understand. And then finally, we've come to the last set of characteristics of imposter syndrome. These are the experts. Experts measure how competent they are based on what and how much they know. So they look at how much they know, they look at how much they can do, and that's what they base their validation on. The trouble is that they know deep down that they'll never know enough. That's what I talked about earlier. And so there's this fear of being exposed as either inexperienced or unknowledgeable. So some questions for this for this category. Number one, do you constantly seek out further training or certifications or qualifications to to make you feel better, to make you feel that your skills are good enough? Do you constantly feel that you need to achieve more and more qualifications and certifications? Two, even if you've been in the role you're in right now, if you've been doing the job you've been doing for many, many years, do you still feel like you don't know enough? Lastly, do you ever feel really, really uncomfortable if someone calls you an expert or highlights you as the expert to go to, the person to go to for help with a certain subject? Does that make you feel really uncomfortable? If you've identified with some of those categories, maybe one or two, maybe more, what's important to know is that the root of all of this is confidence or a lack of confidence. And when we don't feel confident about ourselves and our skills, of course, that's going to have a detrimental impact on how we perform and how we feel about ourselves. That, that's quite a natural consequence. Only just recently, Adele, when she launched her new album, she was interviewed on the radio and she said, I was terrified about going to Glastonbury. I was terrified about headlining because I have crushing imposter syndrome. 
she said she was terrified. And there's still that she says there's still that sense when she releases an album that is this going to be good enough? So again, it can happen to anybody. Let's talk now about some things we can all do to help boost our confidence, to help nix the imposter syndrome and just send it packing so that we don't ever have to let it hold us back. There are some questions you can start with. The first question you can ask is, what core beliefs do I hold about myself? Get a pen, get a pad of paper and and sit down and think, what do I really, really believe about myself? If you didn't go to university, for example, and everyone else in your office did, that maybe gives you a, a feeling, a core belief about yourself that you're not smart enough, that you're not qualified enough, that somehow you're going to be found out. Do you believe that you're entitled to success and financial rewards for what you're doing? These kinds of core beliefs are very important. So try and spend a few few minutes and really get down to the nitty gritty of what you really believe. What are the beliefs that are driving this imposter syndrome? Another question to ask yourself, do I believe that I am worthy of being loved just for who I am? Not for what I do, not for what I achieve, not for the work I do or the amount of hours I put into work, but purely for who I am. Again, spend a few minutes, really question yourself. The next question, of course, would be why? Why do I believe that? What's causing this belief? And then lastly, ask yourself this question. Do I have to be perfect for others to approve of me? Do the people in my life demand perfection of me? Or is this myself? Do I demand it of myself? Do other people demand perfection? Will they withhold their love if I'm not perfect? Again, spend some time, think about this question, think about the answers. Getting the answers to these questions can be quite illuminating. And once you do have those answers, here are some things that we can all do to help ourselves feel better, to help minimize imposter syndrome and boost our own confidence. The first thing is to find people who you can talk to, your partner, your siblings, your best friend, your parents, whoever it may be, and really talk about your feelings. Tell them how you feel about your work, your your need to be perfect, your need to produce top quality work, whatever it may be. Share these feelings because what will then happen is the people who love you will challenge them. They'll challenge your beliefs and they'll show you in a different light. They'll talk about the things they notice about you. The second thing you can do is really take a realistic assessment of your abilities and your skills and your capabilities. If you're the type of person who doubts that you're experienced enough or you're qualified enough, sit down and list all the things you've done, all your achievements. List all the ways you've helped people. List all the projects you've turned in on time, you've done your best. A CBT therapist I talked to, she provided this really lovely scenario that you can go through. And she said, if you were in court and you were standing before the judge and and the judge said to you, you have this belief that you're a fake or a phony, that you're not good enough, that you're a fraud, well, show me the evidence. And she said to me, list all the evidence, list all the evidence that supports your belief. And what you'll find, there's more evidence to prove that you are experienced, that you are qualified, that you are skilled then there's evidence to suggest the opposite. So if you had to prove that you were an imposter, 
if you had to prove that you were a fake or a phony, in reality, you'd find very little evidence to support that. But you would find lots and lots of evidence to support the opposite, which is you're skilled, you're experienced, you're capable. The next thing you can do, stop comparing yourself. And of course, with social media, what happens is knowing our own flaws, knowing the things that we're doing wrong, we then go on social media and see how everybody's doing amazingly well. So we are comparing the worst of ourselves to the best of somebody else. If we were all comparing ourselves on equal footing, then there probably wouldn't be too much difference. But of course, it's so easy to compare ourselves to other people when they're presenting themselves in a good light. So try and curb that. Try and stop that comparison. You are good enough just as you are. This is, these are my experiences. These are my skills. These are good enough. And that ties in with trying to be very moderate about using social media. Try not to get too bogged down by what's going on. Use it for things that are useful to you, but maybe have a bit of a filter when you are using social media, pay attention to your gut feeling. If you're looking at images and you start to get this horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach, that's that feeling of not being good enough. That's a clue. It's a clue telling you to stop. Stop focusing on the things that give you that horrible feeling and start focusing on things that make you feel good. So use that gut feeling as a little filter. Use that filter to filter out things that make you feel less than less than good enough. This next suggestion feels a little bit different, but it's about focusing on others. When we have imposter syndrome, we tend to focus on ourselves. We tend to focus on all the things that we're failing at, that we're not being good enough at. But if we turn our focus outwards to other people in the same situation, how can we help others who may be feeling the same way we are? Are are there people in your office who you could support? Are there people in your group of friends who could use your support? We're all in this together. And I think that if you started talking to your friends and colleagues about imposter syndrome, you'd find it was more common than you realized. So when we talk and when we focus on others, when we can share our experiences, that can really help take the focus off ourselves and diffuse that the intensity of the feeling. This next suggestion from Dr. Valerie Young is to develop a new script. It's about being very conscious of all those times we say, I can't do this. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm in over my head. And you start to get that feeling of panic. Once we have those thoughts, the body and the mind immediately kick in with panicky feelings. The adrenaline is released. The stress hormones are released. And before you know it, we're off in that anxiety cycle. When we're conscious of our words, our script, it's about stopping ourselves when we hear ourselves say, I can't, and telling ourselves, I can, which sounds very simple and it it can be easier said than done. The other day when I was panicking about a project and I was faced with a blank white page and I had to start writing and I was panicking thinking that first sentence is going to be the making or breaking of me. I started to say, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I really got myself into quite a state about it. In the end, I turned it round and I said, stop. I can do this. In fact, as I write, the words are going to flow from my mind. 
The words are just going to flow easily and effortlessly. And by the end of today, I'm going to feel really proud of myself. I'm going to do such a good job of this that I'm going to feel really, really good about myself. And it's going to be easy. It's going to be effortless. And of course, in reality, it really is faking it till you make it. But if we turn our words around, as soon as we say this is going to be fine, I can do this, I'm really good at this, and I'm going to find this really easy, I'm going to find this effortless, our minds are listening, our body goes into a relaxed state, a calmer state. When we're stressed, the creative problem-solving part of our brain completely shuts down. But when we're calm, that part of our brain opens up. So the calmer we are, the more capable we are, the more confident we are. So if we turn our thoughts around and say, I can do this, it's going to be easy, it's going to be effortless, we can calm our minds down. And in doing so, we actually facilitate the job that we're doing. Another suggestion is to reward yourself, not for the achievement, but for the process. Break down your job, your project into little tasks, little chunks, and give yourself the validation and the reward for the little things. And that could be as simple as, I was really good at listening to my colleague when she had a problem. I was able to listen and just help her by listening. Or say, I'm really conscientious, that's why I care. I'm a caring, conscientious person, that's why it matters to me. And that's a good thing, I'm a good person. So reward yourself for those little things. All of these little suggestions can be very, very useful if you apply one or two of them or apply them all together. But ultimately, it's about talking about imposter syndrome, talking about how you feel, talking about where these doubts and fears come from. It's about being kind and compassionate to yourself and giving yourself a little bit of a talking to and saying, you can do this. You're an experienced, intelligent, capable woman. You can do this. You've done it before and you will do it again. It's about visualizing a more positive outcome for yourself. Instead of imagining doom and gloom, we can visualize our own success. And a lot of people are a bit cynical and skeptical about visualizations, but there's a lot of research that shows when we visualize, our minds are actually rehearsing and practicing So if you don't like the term visualization, then just say I'm rehearsing it. I'm practicing what success feels like. Instead of quaking in my boots, worried about giving in this job or doing a rubbish project, rehearse the idea that actually you're going to do a good job, that your boss is going to be pleased, your colleagues are going to be pleased. If you have clients, imagine the perfect outcome for your clients, that you listen, that you're kind, that you're compassionate, that you really listen and understand what they need. And that simply by listening and understanding, you are halfway there. You are doing a great job. I hope you found some of these tips and techniques helpful. If you have any questions about imposter syndrome, please do message me at dawn at dawnquest.co.uk or you can go to my website dawnquest.co.uk for more information. That's all from me today, but I hope you'll join me, Dawn Quest, next week on Essentially Women. Mm-hmm.